Well, we're moving along in our summer sermon series in 1 Peter. The series is titled Hope in a Hostile World. I encourage you to open your Bibles. If you don't have one, uh, there's a pew Bible in front of you. We are uh, on page 1015 of our pew Bible, 1015, and uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8 and going through verse 22. Today we've all gathered uh, to worship together with great joy and without any fear. That is not the case for millions of Christians around the world who live under constant threat of persecution. At Grace Church, we support missionaries in China. I cannot say their names because this worship service is being broadcast through the internet. Their health and safety and lives are in danger simply because they desire to honor Christ by spreading the gospel. And recently, I read of an entire family, including a two-year-old child, was sentenced to life imprisonment in North Korea simply because a Bible was discovered in their possession. The same time I landed in Iraq last fall, a Christian pastor was gunned down in Baghdad. Muslim extremists had been tracking him for weeks. We, on the other hand, gather in freedom today. Yes, Christians in America do undergo persecutions, but usually not of the life and limb variety or the being sent to prison variety. And yet the tides are changing. Christian beliefs are not just becoming marginalized in our society, but some of our biblical beliefs are now being called hateful. Christians are called the evil ones for believing that unborn children are valuable for affirming that marriage is between one man and one woman, for affirming that there are but two sexes that people are born with. As Jesus said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Today, many in our country consider the voicing of our beliefs as hate speech, and in my estimation, this will only get worse, not better. So what are we to do? Like these early churches to whom Peter wrote, we are to have it clear in our heads how God is able to bring blessing in the midst of suffering persecution. Our text this morning, listen, it's one which Christians around the world today who are undergoing persecution know intimately, for it reminds them of the hope that God gives and the blessing we experience as his children, even when we suffer persecution. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, 
Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to us. We thank you that, that on this day we gather here in great peace, we think of our brothers and sisters scattered around the world who are huddling in secrecy, feasting on the same gospel message that we are. Bless them today and bless us as we study this word. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to entertain a thought together this morning. What is the relationship, if any, between suffering and blessing? Is it not true we tend to equate suffering with lack of blessing? That if suffering comes, then blessing ends. That suffering and blessing are like Chateaubriand and Kraft mac and cheese. They just don't belong on the same plate. And so people work hard to avoid any suffering, thinking that a blessed life is devoid of such. Well, today... Peter shows us that suffering, persecution, and experiencing God's blessing do go hand in hand. Peter shows us that when we live out the life of blessing that God gives us, we can be persecuted for it. And yet, in a mysterious, but somehow uh, mysterious way, in God's economy, blessing and suffering are not at odds with each other. And yet, so often, we can live as if they are. Today, Peter helps us to wrap our heads around this truth. Because we are blessed, we will suffer. And because we suffer, we will be blessed. They are far from being mutually exclusive. In verse 14, Peter says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Now, this is not suffering because you blew out your knee playing basketball. This is not suffering because the stock market turned against you. This is suffering because God is making you to be more like Jesus Christ. 
The word for Christ-likeness is righteousness. It's a good thing. Even if you suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. So the big point here this morning is because of the blessing of suffering, we must embrace the calling to bless those who persecute us. We'll look at this under three headings. First, the merciful goodness, then fearless witness, and victorious hopefulness. Merciful goodness. Peter's saying that when people, the people of God live with mercy and goodness towards all, there is blessing from God upon us. Or to put it another way, listen, you have been blessed so that you will be a blessing that receives blessing. You know, we all like the idea of being a blessing so long as we like the people we're blessing, right? We like to bless our kids. We like to bless our friends. We like to bless our nice coworkers. Yeah, I'll cover for you on that break. Go ahead, take an extra 15 minutes. But Peter says we have a calling that is upside down to this hostile world that we live in. We are to bless those who curse us. In verse 9, he writes, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It's as if Peter has Jesus' words swirling around in his mind. He remembers when Jesus commanded his disciples, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And then, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that? Even sinners love those who love them, but love your enemies and do good, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he, listen, is a kind, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. God is kind to the ungrateful and evil. If you're a Christian, you have been on the receiving end of this. Be merciful, even as your Father in heaven is merciful. This way of living must challenge all of us this morning, for when we find ourselves in a hostile situation, do we not tend to grab a hold of our rights and erect a wall of hostility towards others? We are hurt by another person's words or actions, and the last thing we harbor in our hearts is kindness and mercy towards them. But our Heavenly Father is what? Merciful. This kind of merciful way of living is what Peter describes in verse 8. Finally, all of you, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All of these describe the meekness of Christ that he desires in us, his people. You know, there's a number of ways that we Christians can be hypocrites, but to me, Christian hypocrisy is at its worst, not when we fail to follow God's rules, but listen, when we fail to have the same heart as God. God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God who is kind to sinners like you and me and merciful to all his children. 
How then can our hearts not be filled with the same kindness and mercy and love? This is our area of great potential hypocrisy. Let me ask you, does your heart beat with a similar love that God has for the unlovely? Is it easy for you to quickly forgive others and not repay evil with evil? Peter is saying, contrary to repaying evil with evil, like those in the world naturally do, we are to what? We are to bless. And this is not optional, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called. God has called you, Christian. You have a calling from God to be a blessing to those who curse you. Just let that sink in for a moment. But why? What is our motivation? Well, as we're going to see in our third point, this is how God has treated us through his son on the cross. God has blessed us when we deserve cursing. But another answer to the why question is at the end of verse 8. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, why? That you may obtain a blessing. Peter is saying that there's a blessing for us when we have the same heart of blessing as our Heavenly Father. There is a correlation. When you bless, you may obtain a blessing from God. Now, this is not tit for tat. Scratch God's back, he'll scratch your back. No, it's actually something far more spectacular. See, God doesn't owe us anything when we live in faithfulness, when we're living out a righteous life. He doesn't owe us anything. But he is a generous father, and he loves the lavish gifts and blessings on his children. It's in his nature. He cannot help but bless us. Peter describes this blessing in verses 10 through 12. It's a quotation from Psalm 34, the same psalm that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Beginning verse 10, it's very practical. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, that is, to be blessed, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. To summarize, when you live a life pursuing the goodness of God for his glory, you can expect to see good days. Why is that? Well, think about the opposite. Think about a young person who hangs out with the wrong crowd, doing the wrong things, and how usually this person experiences hardship in life because of it. Poor school choices, poor career choices, perhaps addictions, difficulty in relationships, lack of self-control. But show me a community where righteousness is encouraged and pursued, and I'll show you a people who tend to see good days. To some, it might seem like karma. What goes around comes around. But this cannot be karma. Why? The reason is God is watching and caring for you. Verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Christian, we have a calling to bless those who curse and revile us, to live with unity of mind and sympathy and brotherly love and tender hearts and humble minds, 
This is the good life to which you were called. And by and large, when we strive to live in righteousness, our lives tend to lack persecution. Does this make sense? Next to the fearless witness. The idea here is this. Because persecution can come our way, God prepares us to be fearless witnesses. Now, Peter knew something. He knew how things were going to get really bad for the Christians in the Roman Empire. Nero was at that time on his throne. And really soon, 250 years of brutal persecution of Christians was coming their way. Which is why our second point speaks of our Christian witness in a hostile world. First, Peter makes it clear that, that though we can, experience, can expect others not to harm us when we're doing good, we're not exempt from persecution. Verse 13 and 14. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Wow. Notice, this is not us going out of our way to stir up trouble. This is us living in holiness, pr promoting goodness and righteousness. And of course, Jesus' words should be ringing in our ears. Blessed are you and others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Not only are we to expect God's blessing and the ability to rejoice in the midst of persecution, but we should expect to be fearless and untroubled. This is far what one would expect. But that's what Peter tells us, verse 14. You will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. How do you think this is possible? Peter says that this powerful, fearless life is possible when? when we stop looking out at this scary, hostile world, at the harm that could come our way, and instead start looking up at Christ on his throne and the blessing that is ours already in him. Verse 15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. What does this mean? The English word translated honor is the Greek word that we see in our Lord's prayer when we pray hallowed. Be thy name. This means that we regard Christ as the holiest, most glorious being in the entire universe who we love and who we desire to please and honor above all things. And because of this, we see that as he lived to die for us, now we live to die to self for him. He is supreme over all creation. And his kindness and mercy towards us is beyond all measure. And so he is our greatest adoration and allegiance. Now, what purpose does suffering persecution in the name of Christ serve? Well, Peter says it is a way for us to proclaim the goodness of God with our words and with our deeds. Our lives become a fearless witness to Christ, even before our persecutors. Verse 15 through 17, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This sermon series is titled, Hope in a Hostile World. Christian, we share a hope which this hostile world we live in desperately needs to hear. Our calling to bless means we are to witness to those who are opposed to Christ and his church. And so Peter is saying that we must be ready to tell those who persecute us about this hope so they can believe too. My freshman year of college, uh, my roommate, Curtis, uh, used to tell me regularly about the hope in him. I remember many nights sitting on our beds, yes, I'd be half drunk, telling him about how horrible my life was. My parents were getting a divorce. I foolishly said things like, Christians are weak, they need a crutch. Jesus was, he was just a good man. He's definitely not the son of God. Didn't die for my sins. I didn't ask him. But Curtis would faithfully open up his Bible and quote some passage proclaiming the goodness of the gospel and my need to receive Christ as my Savior and Lord. And I said, no, thank you. Every time. Now, for Curtis, this wasn't burn at the stake type of persecution, was it? But I wasn't all that kind to him. And yet Curtis related to me as Peter instructed with gentleness and respect. Imagine his surprise years later when I tracked him down on Facebook and told him not only that I had become a Christian, but I was actually a pastor <laughs> of all things. Christian, God has given us everything we need so that we may live as a fearful, fearless witness in the face of persecution. We have a hope in heaven that changes everything for us for all eternity. And to that we now turn to the victorious hopefulness. Peter takes us back again to the cross. He has already, as you recall, earlier in his letter. But this time, he says more than Jesus bearing our sins. He speaks of the resurrected Jesus who won a victory for all, over all. Peter reminds them of our victorious hope. First, he points us to how Christ has given us a victory over our own sin, and then he points to how Christ has won the victory over all evil, over all time, for all eternity. Anything and everything that could ever persecute us, Christ has subjected to him. In this victory over our sin, we see Christ's example. The cross is where God's mercy and kindness and love comes to forgive and reconcile a hostile and rebellious world, you and me included. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. This is what we Christians call the great exchange on the Christ, on the cross. Christ took all of our sin upon us, on, on him. He took our unrighteousness upon himself. But also what we must see is that when you have faith in him, 
Jesus' perfect righteousness comes to you. It is a great gift of God. And because of this gift of righteousness, we now, as Peter describes, have been brought by Christ to God. You know, we had this cat when I was growing up. Her name was Muffin. Yeah, I mean, that's a funny name. That's what kids give, funny names to pets. Muffin would reg regularly go outside and catch all kinds of animals and then bring it through the back door, showing it off like it was a prize or something. One day we couldn't believe our eyes when Muffin walked in the back door with a live parakeet in her mouth. And of course, we had no idea how to find the owner, so, well, we kept the parakeet, and we named it Perry. <laughs> yep. But you should have seen how proud Muffin was to bring such a beautiful prize to us. In a similar way, kind of. Peter says, Jesus beautifies us and brings us into the presence of his Father, our Father in heaven, with great joy and delight. He shows us off. Look at how beautiful and righteous our people are. Christian, do you see yourself this way? Can you try to understand all the glorious implications of Christ making you righteous and good and beautiful and bringing you near to God. Peter wants us to see that the life of blessing which we enjoy only comes because Jesus embraced a life of suffering for righteousness' sake. No wonder we desire to honor Christ in our hearts as holy Next, Peter shows us how our willingness to suffer for the honor of Christ is rooted in Christ's cosmic victory over all spiritual forces that have battled against God over all these years. That is what Jesus' resurrection has won. Peter speaks of the resurrection at the end of verse 18, that he might bring us to God, putting to death in the, being put to death in the flesh, that's Jesus, but made alive in the Spirit. Being made alive in the Spirit doesn't mean that when Jesus rose from the grave, he was just a spirit. No, it speaks of the spiritual nature of his post-resurrection body. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians 15. It speaks of how our bodies will one day be resurrected when Christ returns. It won't be the same fleshly bodies that we have now. No, Paul calls them spiritual bodies. Our bodies will be spiritually new and powerful and made fit for all eternity, just like Jesus' body is now. My friends, this is our great hope, and Jesus' resurrection guarantees this victory for us. That's what we need to comprehend. Peter tells us that after Jesus rose from the dead, he went to proclaim his resurrection to the spirits in prison. Verse 18 to 22, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went to proclaim to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. 
not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, where is he? And he's seated at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. What's he talking about? All right, well, this is a highly obscure passage with some disagreement as to what Peter means. The original audience obviously understood, but we've lost the clarity of its meaning today. Here's what Peter is likely saying. As in the days of Noah, evil was so thick that God vowed to take it all away. Everyone on the face of the earth, except a few, persecuted Noah for his faithfulness. These spirits in prison likely refer to the evil angels and authorities and powers from verse 22, which held their sway over this rebellious earth. Peter says that the risen Lord preached to those in prison who disobeyed. What do you think Jesus proclaimed to them? We don't know. He probably didn't need to say anything. Just the radiance of his resurrected glory told them that they were doomed, that the victory of God has come, that the very Son of God that you thought that you would triumph over me through the cross, I am now the very same means by which God has won the victory. What a reversal. Now, even if that isn't exactly what Peter means, by Jesus preaching to spirits in prison. The point that Peter is making is the same. Peter wants his readers to know that the same God who safely delivered God's persecuted people back then is the same God who will deliver us too. Peter shows us the symbolism of the ark, how God saved his people by bringing them safely through the water. Peter wants us to see that the same power that delivered Noah is the same power that now saves us, and our baptism confirms this. See, Peter knows how important this is. We're living in a hostile world to know that the victory is already won. Christians, we are on the winning team. The same God that delivered Noah through all his persecutions will also deliver us in victory through any and all persecutions we could ever face. No matter the pain and sorrow that comes our way, our salvation is final and our salvation is sure. So that, my friends, is the Christian hope. This is the hope that we get to gladly share with others, to any who might ask for the reason for the hope that is in us. You guys remember the night in which Jesus was arrested? Do you remember how fearful and troubled Peter was? A little girl caused him to tremble. Three times Peter denied Jesus, and then the rooster crowed. That same cowering disciple wrote the words we studied today. That same disciple Peter who rebuked Jesus for going to the cross now glories in the cross. The cross changes everything for us. You know, Peter wrote this letter from Rome right as Nero was becoming more and more hostile to Christians 
See, Rome would soon burn, and Nero would save himself. How? Remember? By blaming the fire on Christians. A few years after writing this very letter, Peter was arrested in Rome for proclaiming the gospel. He stood trial, likely in the court of Nero, as capital offenses, you were usually tried by the emperor himself. Peter, before the emperor, this is no small girl huddled by a fire. And though we don't have official records, we can be sure Peter had no fear, nor was troubled, as he witnessed to Nero the hope that was in him. Tradition speaks that Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. The Lord had blessed Peter so much that Peter sought to honor his Lord in his own crucifixion. Suffering and blessing in the goodness of the gospel, they go hand in hand. Christians, you now understand more fully how suffering is not the opposite of blessing that God's blessing is ours as we live in honor of Christ with the one life that God has given us to live. We are able to not repay evil with evil and reviling with reviling because we know what it's like to be on the receiving end of God's mercy and blessing. So we live seeking to bless everyone. Not just those that we find easy to like, but we live to bless even those who hate us. And we do it because in our hearts, we honor Christ as Lord, as holy. Let's pray. Father, this teaching seems so counterintuitive. It seems so against our human nature. We want to revile against people who revile against us. We're thankful, though, that this is not how you've treated us. You are kind. You are merciful. And we've experienced that. We pray that you would convict us more and more by your Spirit and by this very same Spirit that you would enable us, empower us to be the people you've called us to be, to be a blessing in this world that needs blessing even if we might be persecuted, we pray. Amen.